Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market each day. I'm your host, Emily Flippin. I'm Jason Moser. I'm Nick Seipel. I'm Dylan Lewis. And today we're talking financials. Today we're talking consumer goods. Wild Card Wednesday. And we're talking energy. And today we're talking tech. Let's dive in. It's Monday, September 13th. I'm your host, Jason Moser. And on this week's financial show, we'll dig into a firm's most recent earnings report. PayPal is making an acquisition in the buy now, pay later space. And we've got a couple of stocks we're watching that we'll talk about too. Joining me at Certified Financial Planner, and hey, he's a happy football fan today because his Gamecocks and his Eagles both won over the weekend. It's Matt Touchdown Franco. Matt, how's it going? Good. I, I, I could broadcast the, the Gamecock Alliance. I, I, I usually can't keep the fact that I'm an Eagles fan to myself. <laughs> People hear that and just assume certain things about you. Man, I tell you, it, uh, it, the NFL, that could ruffle some feathers. Man, I mean, no pun intended, in all honesty. I mean, there's some serious, loyal fan bases out there. And you can't, everybody, we're not, we don't need to live in an age where you just, we can agree to disagree and still move forward, <laughs> right? You know, I mean, <laughs> whatever happened yeah, the, those days. The, the Eagles are a little polarizing, but they, they did look are. dominant. They are. They are. You know, it's funny. I'll real quickly. I grew up a Dallas Cowboys fan. Just South Carolina. There was never a, a home team, so to speak, and the Cowboys were always on TV. So that was just the team I always watched. Um, my wife, several years back, got me a ticket to go see the Cowboys play the Eagles. And the Cowboys were out of the season. I mean, it was it was over for them. But it was just a chance to go see an NFL game. So I drove up to Philly. Uh, to, to go see the game, and, and I swear to you, I, there was no way in the world I was letting anyone know uh, that I was actually pulling for the Cowboys because I was afraid I might not make it out of there alive. That, that, that's a rough place to go see a game, man. <laughs> yes, it is. I, I miss it up there. I'll it's, tell it's, you. It, it was a lot of fun. It's, it's, it's an electric environment for sure. Uh, Matt, last week, a firm uh, – reported earnings for the quarter, and that was on top of a very positive headline of a relationship they've just developed with Amazon. Uh, but 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 all in all, I mean, a firm shareholders have got to be feeling really good about where the company is going right now. A lot of a lot of positive news out there, and and the the results from the most uh, recent quarter uh, certainly support that. Uh, wondering when you look through that most recent report there, and we talk about a firm a lot here, the buy now pay later space. Uh, it seems like they are starting to do. What you and I, I think we we were a little bit concerned with this business, right? And we were concerned about that customer concentration. It seems like that customer concentration risk is starting to uh, dissipate a little bit. I love that you and I read the earnings report and come up with the exact same takeaway. <laughs> That's pretty great. Um, no, um, and you're right. The, the the biggest negative I mentioned when we talked about a firm back in its IPO uh, day was that it's very levered to Peloton, its number one customer. Um, Peloton, if you're not familiar, was using a firm to let people finance those $3,000 uh, workout bikes over, I think, three years interest-free or something to that effect. Um, so their sales or their their gross merchandise volume, their GMV, was up 106% year over year. Excluding Peloton, that the non-Peloton portion of their business, it was up 178% year over year. So that part of the business is growing faster, which is really welcome news. And that's not including any impact from the Amazon relationship that we talked about. It's really welcome news because it could, just couldn't have come at a better time. Peloton's dropping the prices on its bikes. It's seeing sales start to slow down from the pandemic um, pandemic boost. If you remember, there were times last year when you couldn't get a Peloton bike. 
Um, I, I don't know if they're still on a backlog, but for a while it was months before, from the time you ordered till the time the bike arrived just because they were so backed up. And that's not the case anymore. Um, so it, it, it looks like they're growing the business in the right way. Um, they uh, brought Shopify merchants onto their platform. That was a big deal. Um, the, the active merchants on a firm's platform is now at 29,000. That's 5X from a year ago. And the big reason is because in June, they opened their platform up to all Shopify merchants who qualified. So that's a big, big plus that they're getting away from just Peloton. And Amazon will help them diversify even more. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. And I mean, I, I, I do... It, it feels like it feels like with a firm, you know, our the concern at least I think for many. I know this was it was at least an observation on my part. Um, was was just that buy now pay later seems a bit more like a feature than a whole business. But by the same token, you know, we're seeing a lot of investments being made in the space from companies like Mastercard, Visa, PayPal, Square. I mean, we've got a firm kind of doing their own thing. Uh, it, it's certainly not to say that a firm can't grow into uh, becoming more things, right? I mean, that I think is one of the strategies that management has explicitly stated is ultimately becoming uh, more of a financial services company. And I, I wonder, I wonder how you view that because if you look at the world today with all of the options out there with a, your PayPal's and your Squares of the world. It feels like it'd be a lot easier to go from developing a payments network and then offering additional sort of ancillary services like buy now, pay later, um, crypto, whatever it may be. Uh, for a firm to start out as a buy now, pay later uh, platform and, and then ultimately pivot to other services or other offerings, it seems like that's probably a bit of a higher hurdle. Not to say they can't do it, it just seems like it's a tougher ask. What do you think about that? Well, in a firm's case, the fact that they got Peloton early really was the differentiator. Um, the fact that they partnered with one of the biggest buy now, pay later friendly businesses in the world. Um, it, and I mean, the, the tailwinds from the pandemic didn't hurt, let's be honest. Um, but they're having really good success as a standalone business. Just the economics of this, the more I dig into it, the more the economics of the buy now, pay later business makes sense. When you think of the companies we follow, say Visa, MasterCard, Square, PayPal, Visa and MasterCard get what? Uh, 2% maybe of each transaction, if that. Um, PayPal and Square get, you know, what, 30 cents every time or 10 cents, 12 cents, I think it is, in Square's case, every time a transaction's made. The buy now, pay later margin is actually really good. Um, a firm makes a roughly 10% margin. They get 10% of the transaction volume on their on their platform. Um, in, the, in the second quarter, the transaction volume was $2.5 billion. Um, and the revenue they generated was over $261 million. So that's a pretty big revenue stream. It's not This is not the, the pennies that Square and PayPal are making. This is not the the swipe fees that Visa and MasterCard are making, they're actually making a good bit of money when people are using their platform, which is why the point being, because it's such a moneymaker if it's going well, it does work as a standalone business because they don't need those trillion dollar payment volumes. They just need you know, one really great partner, which they got in Peloton, and that really catapulted them to legitimacy as a business. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. I mean, the one thing I wonder about with with buy now pay later, because I mean, at the at the end of the day, this really is just another form of credit, right? I mean, you're drawing out a purchase, 
instead of paying for it all at once, you're paying for it in installments. Um, and I mean, the relationship with Amazon, I think is really interesting because I, and I, and I know we had talked about this before, but I mean, I, I knew I could have sworn that I saw installment options on Amazon and, and certainly they, they do have installment options where they guide you through, um, their credit card, right? The Amazon prime visa that you, you pay for, uh, your purchases via installment through their credit card. But this is a different offering now that, that, uh, that they'll be, they'll be presenting with a firm. It's, it's, it's another offering. Um, at the end of the day though, I mean, this is still debt. You're getting something up front and you've got to pay for it over time. And so I, I guess I wonder, and this is less about the company. This is really more about consumer behavior and, and it's a question. It's not really, I'm not really sure how this how this ends, but at the end of the day, I mean, I wonder, does this guide consumers to spend more responsibly, or does this just become ultimately one more way to accumulate debt? Because the glass half empty guy, and you can see a world where consumers get tapped out of their buy now pay later bandwidth, and then start seeking out additional forms of credit, like say a credit card. Yeah, no, I I, I definitely agree with that. I mean, it's. It's a question of how much credit do Americans need, first of all. and But like I mentioned last time, it could be kind of complementary to credit cards. With Am- In Amazon's case especially, I have to think everyone who wants an Amazon credit card already has one. <laughs> um, I mean, it, or it's got to be pretty close to full market penetration in terms of demand. And there, there are some benefits to the buy now, pay later over credit cards. I mentioned last time, it's not reported to your credit unless you make a late payment. So... If I were to, say, let's say my Amazon card is a $5,000 limit, if I were to charge, say, a $3,000 entertainment system for my living room on my Amazon card, it would show as almost a maxed out credit card and hurt my credit score. If I use buy now, pay later, that wouldn't be the case. It wouldn't ding my credit for for financing that purchase. Having said that, the early results are not encouraging when it comes to consumer behavior. Default rates are... Delinquency rates for buy now pay later are significantly higher than credit cards. Are they? Yeah. Like, See, that's, uh, I was uh, I was going to ask you about that. Have you had any data on that? Because that yeah that that that's that's got to be a little bit of a worry there. Yeah. It, depending on what source you're using and which study you're looking at, it's usually between twenty and thirty percent of users have made a late payment on one of these. And you know, an alarming amount of people are using credit cards to pay for their their purchases afterwards. In other words, they're setting up a buy now, pay later agreement, then using a credit card to pay their installments. Right. Well, and see, that just gets to what I was talking about there. I mean, it's one for the other. It's not, it, 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 yeah, I mean, that's the, it, there's, there's a responsibility here on the consumer's part, I guess, is ultimately what I'm getting at. So I think the buy now, pay later is an outstanding idea. I think it's a wonderful idea, but it still does boil down to customers, you know, consumers, you know, acting acting responsibly or at least somewhat rationally with their money. We know that's not uh, we know that's not always the case. Yeah, and I mean it. it it's a very early in this industry, so it's it's really tough to say how the long term effects are going to be. And plus, remember the economy is pretty strong right now. Um, and I mean, especially when it comes to consumer spending, a lot of consumers are flush with with cash. Savings rates were ne- have never been higher than they've been over the past year or so. So it's really. We're seeing just kind of one snapshot of how this works. What happens when a recession hits and these obligations that are easier to get than most credit cards? What happens when consumers default on those in higher numbers? Uh, we're seeing high default rates in a in a good environment. That's odd. Um, That's odd. So it's it, it's t- 
tough to say what it's going to do like throughout the cycles. Yeah, I guess something worth keeping an eye on there is, is just paying attention to those those delinquency rates and then ultimately seeing how does that translate to the ultimate cost to the consumer and to the merchant, right? I mean, the merchant's another part of this um, because right now, I mean, these, these buy now pay later firms are able to tout either fee-free, no late fees, or zero or very minimal uh, finance charges. But I mean, as with anything, as, as the risk goes up, you need to be compensated for that risk. And if, if the consumer's uh, a bit of a riskier proposition, then it would seem at least that costs for financing these purchases could go up as well. And, and maybe that's not a one-size-fits-all, right? I mean, you've got consumers who are very responsible and pay their bills on time, but you may have others who who aren't, and, and that may be reflected uh, by higher higher transaction costs for them, higher costs to finance a buy-now-pay-later purchase. Yeah, and like, there are a lot of no-interest arrangements for these buy-now-pay-laters, and someone's paying for it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like When you get 0% interest financing through Peloton, a firm's not just kind of making no money. You know, Peloton's <laughs> yeah. paying them for doing that. It's like saying free healthcare. It's like, wait a minute now. It's not free. Someone's paying for it. <laughs> and, and the buy now, pay later service, unlike credit cards, generally guarantees payment to the merchant um, over time. You know, they're, they're essentially guaranteed that, they're, that the merchant's going to get a, a steady stream of payments over time. Um, so that's kind of it. It's, you're right. If, if, if default rates tick up, the overall cost, whether the consumer's paying a higher interest rate or the merchant's paying a higher fee to the buy now, pay later company, costs are going to go up and that can make it less appealing to merchants as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, speaking of buy now, pay later and, and pivoting over to the other side of the spectrum here, uh, PayPal also last week announced an acquisition that they uh, are making. Um, and it's a relatively small acquisition, comparatively speaking, at least. Uh, but but Payd, a Japanese buy now, pay later firm, uh PayPal is going to be acquiring Payday and bringing that into their network. I believe $2.9 billion uh, was the was the deal there, primarily uh, financed with, with cash there on PayPal's part. Um, not, not a big acquisition for a business like PayPal. I mean, in, in considering that they have already built their own buy now, pay later offering, I mean, some, some may ask, well, why would they buy this as opposed to just expanding their offering. And I mean, oftentimes just getting into another uh, geographical area of the world can be a, a lot more difficult. Even if you built something that's that's uh, showing the promise that the PayPal's buy now, pay later offering is showing today here domestically, being able to roll that out around the globe is a little bit of a different ask. And so it seems like they are buying that uh, share into, into the, the Japanese opportunity. And I tell you, looking at the numbers, uh, it seems like, I mean, this, this seems like a very reasonable uh, bet on PayPal's part. Yeah, I like this a whole lot more than I like Square spending $29 billion on Afterpay. <laughs> I did and too, not just, just because it's one-tenth of the price, I like the strategy of it better. <laughs> Move the decimal over just one, and man, I tell you, it looks a lot better, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, it, it's, it's a bolt-on acquisition, right? Unlike Square's, which is trying to you know establish buy now, pay later from scratch. PayPal's already done that. PayPal's already built a buy now, pay later platform. And now they're just trying to optimize it, I guess you would say. This gets them into the Japanese market. It gets them Payday's pri- pri- uh, proprietary technology. Uh, Payday uses proprietary technology to underwrite their their loans, to 
assess credit worthiness. They have a, their own credit scoring method uh, to determine consumer credit that could be a, ultimately applied around the world. Um, it's, it's an impressive platform. They're the leader in the Japanese market, which is the number three economy worldwide for e-commerce, by the way. Um, so it gets them a big head start in that market, which, I mean, it's, is Square really... Square's not an international company at this point. Afterpay is in a few markets. They're primarily Australia and the US, where, where Square already is. So it doesn't really open up uh, the, the global... And PayPal's already a global company. So I like that they could take this leader in one really strong market and kind of apply it to the 100 plus countries they operate all over the world. It just seems like a better use of capital than just spending $29 billion to buy a, a established buy now, pay later service. That's just my opinion. And this is coming from a Square shareholder. So, yeah, Well, I mean, this is coming from a Square and a PayPal shareholder. I, I tend to agree with you. Uh, when I look at this acquisition, it's certainly a lot easier to um, to stomach. I mean, you know, this is if it doesn't work out, it, it clearly, I mean, that's not good, but it, it's not something that really moves the needle for PayPal either way. Uh, but to your point, I mean, being able to take this and even extending uh, extending the proprietary technology that they get, extending the IP that they gain from this acquisition to, to a global scale, I mean, could, could be very meaningful over time. And particularly when you look at the Japanese market, I found this pretty fascinating. I mean, Japanese market is still very cash heavy. Um, I mean, they said around 70% of all purchases are still paid for in cash. And so, so the Japanese uh, people as a culture, it would seem, are, are uh, much more debt-averse than probably others. And not to say that's a bad thing at all, but, I mean, it, it, is, it is probably a challenge that they'll have to overcome in convincing people that, hey, this is a way that you can um, purchase what you want to purchase if, if you want Right. Um, and so if you have 70% of all purchases still paid for in cash, well, that means you probably have a lot of room to, to change people's minds and show them there's another way. Um, but by the same token, I mean, maybe it's a, a little bit easier said than done. Um, but probably, I mean, we want to see that number come down over time for this to be an acquisition that really moves the needle, at least from a, from a, a Japanese market perspective. Yeah, I'm curious to see what the pandemic did to that, that 70% rate of cash payments. I have to say, it, it probably shifted a little bit. Um, but I, it, I don't think Japan's necessarily a debt averse society as much as they're an interest adverse society. Yeah, I always say that I'm not I'm not afraid of debt. I'm afraid of interest. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if you want if you want to loan me a million dollars at zero percent interest, I'll put it to work and make money with it. I'll take um, it. <laughs> right. So it, it's not that I'm debt averse. It's that I'm interest averse. And buy now pay later solves that in a lot of ways. They give qualified consumers zero percent financing. So it could really and like you said, they don't take on a lot of debt in Japan because of the interest. So. If they could, you know, it, it's a buy now pay later is really interesting in a market like that because it convinced some custom, some consumers who have been historically not wanting to get credit cards. In America, we love our credit cards. Let's be honest. In, in some cultures, that's not the case, and those are the ones where buy now pay later really has a lot of promise. Well, they've had a lot of experience uh, through the years, credit card companies here, building up these big, robust rewards programs and convincing us that we as consumers can't live without them. So, I mean, maybe, <laughs> right. you know, um, and I guess technically $2.7 billion, it looks like this deal is. So, not quite $2.9, uh, but still $2.7, close enough, and you get the gist of it. Um, okay, well, Matt, before we wrap up this week, uh, not a lot going out there. Earnings season has wrapped up. 
but we still have two stocks uh, to watch uh, for our listeners here. A couple of stocks we're digging into and learning more about. What stock are you watching this week? I am watching United Wholesale Mortgage, ticker symbol UWM. And a lot of people might have remember on the show when we were talking about better mortgage going public through SPAC, when Rocket Mortgage went public, that I was taking all these mortgage companies with a big grain of salt. Mortgage companies look great in the current environment when everybody refinanced their house last year. Some people I know at the full refinanced twice in 2020 because rates dropped so much. Um, so United Wholesale Mortgage really is doing it different. I, their CEO has made some really impressive moves, let's say, since going public. Um, they're a wholesale mortgage, which means they work through brokers. Um, and he, he makes his brokers choose. Do they want to work with them exclusively or do they want to work with Rocket or things like that? He want, wants exclusivity, which is interesting. One of the most recent things they've done that really could really be a game changer is they're bringing the appraisal process in-house. The appraisal process is really one of the remaining big pain points of the mortgage process, especially right now with the labor shortage, the hot housing market. It can take weeks from the time you schedule an appraisal till it actually happens. And that's a condition of your mortgage being done. By cutting out the middleman in the appraisal process, the appraiser now has a, a reason to work directly with UWM because they're getting 100% of the appraisal fee, not just their cut of it. So they'll have their own appraisers on standby, ready to take their their appraisal orders all the time at, at a moment's notice. Um, they're, they're cutting it out. It, it eliminates the... the it cuts down on the time. It cuts down on the appraisal cost for the consumer. It lets them close loans quicker than, than their competitors who still use these third-party appraisal services. And it's just it could be a really big move for this company. Uh, again, UWM, United Wholesale Mortgage, they, were, they went public last year along with several other mortgage companies. And I didn't think too much of them at first, but they're, they're making some really big moves that could pay off. Well, yeah, yeah, that's a good one. Uh, speaking of, of companies making big moves and paying off, um, I'm going to be digging more into DraftKings here in the coming weeks. Ticker there is DKNG. Um, now, Matt, correct me if I'm wrong. You you and I were talking about this earlier. I mean, DraftKings is, is literally one of, if not the most successful SPAC offering out there right now, isn't it? I mean, in a world where SPACs have... Had a little bit of a tough time here recently. I mean, DraftKings is a SPAC that really has worked out pretty well for investors. Um, yeah, stocks- it, it, it's one of the most successful SPAC mergers of all time, I believe, if not the. I, 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 I'm not sure if it's the most successful, but it's definitely made its early investors a lot of money. Yeah, it feels like it has. And, um, I, you know, stock is up around 30% year to date. It's outperforming the market. Um, but really, I mean, this is, I mean, football season is now fully underway. And I think we're starting to see the dominoes fall as more and more states incorporate sports betting uh, into the fold there, which I, I think is a great thing. I mean, of course, you want folks to use these platforms responsibly. Um, but by the same token, they are ultimately a another form of entertainment, which we know is a very, very big market opportunity in, in its in its biggest uh, picture sense. Um, I, I just I think this is a fascinating business from a number of angles, and I, I really want to learn more about what their ultimate goal is. There's a lot of consolidation going on in the space right now. Um, I mean, from a finance perspective, you see the number of different ways you can fund these accounts, whether it's your card or whether it's PayPal or e-checks from your bank. I mean, that certainly plays into all of the different type, types of companies that we're following um, as, as well here on the show. And, you know, another thing I saw, which was pretty interesting, and, and this isn't really DraftKings specific, but it's NFL specific, 
Um, and this was a, a tweet I saw from uh, Dan Cla- uh, Dan Kaplan um, a couple of days back, where right before the season started, 29 of 30 NFL stadiums will be fully cashless this season. And the only exception there is going to be Soldier Field in Chicago. Um, but I mean, this is, this is something that happened very quickly, right? I mean, remember just a couple of years ago, it was, it was kind of a novel idea to see a stadium go cashless. Now it seems like they're all doing it. Uh, probably the pandemic had a little bit to do with hastening that, but you and I, we've also spoken about this. I'm not so sure. I mean, I feel like if I'm a business, I feel like I'd still want to accept cash. I want to, I want to give, I want to open my doors to the biggest customer base possible. Yeah, I mean, I would agree with that. I, I, I was at a football game last weekend, and it, the cashless thing's kind of nice and convenient. It keeps the lines moving faster in, in a lot of ways, but it, it, it was inconvenient to not be able to pay for you know a, a bottle of water with the, the cash that's in my wallet. I have mixed feelings on it. Yeah, yeah, I think I do too. I mean, ultimately, personally, I, I tend to just like to pay for things. Uh, digitally but every once in a while you get a couple of bucks in your pocket it's nice to be able to use them uh, but I guess we'll see how that all shakes out but uh, yeah I'll be digging more into DraftKings here in the coming weeks learning a little bit more about that business ultimately what their long-term vision is because it really does feel like uh, with the doors opening up now towards not just sports betting but really gaming in general um, there's gonna be a lot of opportunity out there for for some of these big players in the space and DraftKings is certainly one of if not the biggest in the space but, Matt, I think that's going to do it for us this week. I really appreciate you taking the time, as always, to join us. Of course. Always fun to be here. And remember, folks, you can always reach out to us on Twitter at MF Industry Focus or drop us an email at industryfocusatfool.com. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Thanks, as always, to Tim Sparks for putting the show together for us. For Matt Frankel, I'm Jason Moser. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.